medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I am Andrew Shafiq, a doctor in London and your host for today's podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Johnny Gordon. Johnny is an emergency medicine consultant in Glasgow and is the first team doctor to the men's Scotland national football squad. He has also been the first team doctor at Celtic and was the deputy chief medical officer at the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games. In 2007, Johnny founded the company Sport Promote to provide education and equipment to healthcare professionals involved with emergency situations in sport. The course proved to be exceptionally popular and in 2012, he was selected by UEFA Medical Committee to be course director for the first football doctor education programme run in Vienna. Johnny remains as consultant to UEFA on emergency medicine matters and has also published two books on sports medicine. Thank you for joining us, Johnny. A pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the introduction. That's very kind. Thank you. Today, we're going to discuss Johnny's experience within Pitchside Immediate Care football medicine, patient care, and importance in COVID-19. So quite a few different topics there. So following on from the introduction, Johnny, do you mind just starting off by telling us a bit more about your journey within football medicine and football emergency medicine specifically? Sure, yeah, and I I think what you just said at the end there, Andrew, is probably one of the key things. It really is the emergency pitch side care aspect of it that I've had most experience. I, I started, I undertook a master's at Glasgow Uni in sports medicine as I was finishing my emergency medicine training in 2001 and uh, I, I thought it would take a bit of time to get involved in in team sport but it soon became quite apparent that there's there, at that time certainly there were lots of gaps available so my first uh, trip with the Scotland team was with the, with the under 16s and was very struck by how um, how much care was put in place to to look after the, the you know the players that are in that age group, uh, and from there on I, I was fortunate enough to then get involved with the under twenty ones. Um, Rainer Bonoff was the manager at that point, very charismatic character and very enthusiastic. So I learned an awful lot from him. And in twenty ten, I, I joined the uh, joined John McLean with the with the men's team, the Scotland team. So that's that's my journey in in in, in sport, uh, and it's primarily been football based. Um, I just said I was lucky to be involved in the 2014 uh, Commonwealth Games and that was a very different experience because that was much more of a, a management role rather than a practicing clinical role. So again, uh, involvement in sport can take place in many different ways and facets, but it's uh, it, there's always learning to be done and uh, it's it's just a great environment to be involved in and a great side avenue away from, from emergency medicine, which is a slightly different stress. Great, great to hear about your journey there, Johnny. And- as mentioned, you, you have a wealth of experience, not only in pitchside immediate care, but also in kind of the, the planning and education behind that. And mm-hmm. um, what are some of the challenges that have influenced your work behind the scenes in, in pitchside immediate care? And how have you kind of found overcoming these, these challenges over the years? I, th- I think um, there, there are multiple, the challenges that we face, and it really kind of boils down to the tightrope that we walk in terms of uh, making good decisions and minimising risk as we do that. And sports is a different way to practice medicine than emergency medicine is a way to practice medicine. 
uh, but fundamentally it's always coming down to providing the best level of care that you can for your athlete. And the thing that I find difficult in sport that I, I, I don't tend to find as, as challenging in emergency medicine is just making sure that it's always the player's best interest that's put at heart rather than a club or an association's interest that are put at heart. Um, because you, you, you come under different pressures in sport that you wouldn't come under in emergency medicine. Um, and I think that was why I kind of tried to strip back the things that I found would trip me up um, and make me make bad mistakes. I, I listened to your podcast with uh, Jonathan Hansen and, you know, that, that was a fantastic uh, summary of human factors, elements uh, of what we need to do in order to get the best outcomes for our athletes. So that, that's what I tried to do is to make sure that the knowledge that we have, um, both myself and, and the colleagues around me, the skills that we have, and then the equipment that we that we use, um, how we work as a team, and fundamentally how we then record what we do are all things that will make us defendable in the actions that we take. And I think it's coming down to which are the aspects that are the weakest link that you can then address. Uh, and I think all of those are potential avenues that we can that we can trip up on. So stripping things back to the, to the most fundamental way, I think, is the is the key to how I've practiced uh, medicine, and it's kind of led me to developing the, the you know the different things that I've done. That's great. And in the introduction, the, the Sports Promote course was, was mentioned, and that's proven to be exceptionally popular um, in 2012, where the UEFA Medical Committee um, elected you as course director for the first football doctor education programme. What are some of the similarities and differences you found through the, the programme between Pittside Immediate Care, um, you know, from Scotland, in the UK, across to different parts of, uh, of Europe? Um, and how does that kind of relate to the travel medicine side of things? Well, I, th I think I think prior to UEFA producing what are basically minimum medical requirements, which was a list of um, and remains a list of, of essential kit that you must have that's standardised, as well as a knowledge base that should be standardised across Europe. I think it's, it's been a little bit um, varied in terms of what you would expect when you travel. Um, and whilst UEFA have, have made great leaps in, in going forward with, with teaching and, and disseminating the course and it's, it's aimed to be a cascaded course so that we, we talk to the and we teach the, the doctors from all of the, the, the UEFA nations uh, once every couple of years and then they go back and they cascade uh, the most recent developments and how they would teach that pitch side uh, element of, 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 of care for, for, for the athletes. But it's been varied leading up to that. There are still different resources um, maybe available to us as you go across Europe. It does change, but the, the, the strides that have been made are, are more about standardising that care so you can have a level of expectation. But in saying that, you know, it's probably best to practice on the basis that you kind of you, you you don't need to be reliant on others. So the one thing that we don't have when we travel is oxygen. Effectively, that's the one thing we don't have control over. We can control and take everything else in with us, but you can't fly with oxygen. So that's kind of effectively the one thing that we wouldn't have. Um, so standardising stuff makes a big, big difference. But again, I still wouldn't necessarily be reliant on, on others. Uh, and it's good to be self-sufficient as, as much as is possible. And you've touched on a few of these bits before, but utilising your wealth of experience, how, how can we ensure as practitioners that we're primarily protecting the players as well as ourselves as, as the clinicians um, in control of the, the consultations and the uh, situations? Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really, really good point. Um, because again, it's about being defendable and not defensive in what we do. Um, so, you know, if I was to use a, a kind of a, an emergency 
department type analogy here. The blood tests that we do or the investigations we do in a patient can sometimes be done not necessarily with the patient's best interest at heart, but because we're trying to facilitate process. So, you know, one test may lead to another test and to another test, and these can be unnecessary. And I think it's the same thing in sport. We need to be able to justify the decisions that we make whilst bearing in mind that we can't predict the future. So all of the all of the parameters that have been put in place for the players when we were in the Czech Republic, which were extensive, are never going to 100% mitigate the risk against a player getting COVID-19 but it's the best practice that we can apply at that time to minimise that risk and be as sure as we possibly can be that everything was done. So you need knowledge, um, you need to have a certain level of skill, you need to have access to the right equipment, whether that's PPE um, or, or, or any, any other level of, um, of equipment that you need to have to do your job. You need to make sure that you're working as part of a team and that team's not necessarily the medical team, it's having player buy-in as well, that you need to wear the masks in the right time and in the right place and in the right way. Um, and also you need to be able to refer back to the to, to what you've done by having by having note systems and records that are that will back up the conclusions that you made. And those are the similarities between emergency medicine and sports medicine because you need all of those five facets to achieve good outcomes. That's brilliant. And has there been any kind of you know reflections or cases that come to the top of your head in regards to pit side immediate care or a scenario that that you think you know would be a, a good learning opportunity for some of our listeners? Um, yeah, there's always things that you feel that you could do better. The one thing, and it's a silly thing because I, I tend to try and keep things as simple as I possibly can. Um, I, we, we had a player in Dublin uh, who, when we played Ireland a few years back, uh, and I have a kind of fairly structured pre-match routine about what I do in terms of making sure the equipment that I've got is laid out in the best possible way and in a way that's accessible and quick. I would even walk from the pitch to the dressing room to know how long it's going to take me to, to if I have to stitch somebody so that we can give advice to the coach about how long the minimal minimum period of time is going to be. Um, and especially if somebody comes off the far side of the pitch and they have to go down the tunnel and the dressing rooms are far way away, that can already eat into you know, 90 seconds of your, of, your, of your time if you get a wound to deal with. Um, but in this particular case, uh, the, the player had sustained a kind of fairly superficial but bleeding wound that wouldn't stop bleeding. Um, so that's fine because we've got five sets of tissue glue and in actual fact they were all in date, which is good. But the tissue glue um, in three of the vials that we had had set and it was just because it wasn't being stored at the right temperature. Uh, and that was my job to make sure that we had the right glue to do the right job. And if it had been refrigerated as it was normally, then that would have been a problem. So the, the situation was solved. It didn't create a problem for the team, but it was embarrassing for me as a clinician to have had the one thing, you know, so what's your one job and make a bit of a mess of it. And, and that will stick with me for a good period of time because the physio that we had, Michael McBride and, and John and myself are at the side of the pitch and we're going through this kit trying to find the glue that we know will work and we found it, but it wasn't immediately to hand and the glues that we had used had, had solidified. So that was my, that was my fault, my error. Uh, in, in terms of the preparation not being as good as it could be and getting caught out because it's always the things that you don't expect that will catch out that create a problem. So it's a silly thing but most things that, that, that trip us up I think tend to be simple silly things that we've overlooked rather than complicated things at the end of the day. And I think one of, one of the things that's, um, that, that's a really positive thing to talk about rather than the myriad of mistakes that I've possibly made is, is to talk about um, exceptional practice and one of the one of the cases that stuck in my head and I've kind of referred to in numerous courses since was an injury sustained by Mo Salah I don't know if you remember it was Liverpool Newcastle game 
um, towards the end of last season or the season prior. Um, and Liverpool had, Liverpool were down 3 0 in the Barcelona game prior to this. They were just coming up to the second leg, and, and Mo Salah sustained a head injury. Now, the, the, the pressure that Andy Massey, as the club clinician at Liverpool at that time, um, about how he managed this injury was as intense, I think, as I've ever seen in the media um, because you know it was very important that Salah would play that second game even though they were 3-0 down or there, was there a likelihood they're going to come back. And then Firmino was then ruled out from that game. But, uh, but Andy's management of extricating Mo Salah as he did, making the assessment, saying he's not fit to return in the game against Newcastle, but he is now excluded and, and will not be able to play against the Bar- in, uh, in the Barcelona second leg, I think must have been probably one of the most pressured um, situations that you're ever going to find as a clinician. And I think how that was handled um, was exemplary. And it's really important to focus on the things that are done so well, because we can all learn from them. But I think that's the best example that I can think of of the ultimate pressured situation that you'd find in, me- in in sports medicine that you're just not going to find in emergency medicine. So I, I think if, if you've never seen that instance and you've not followed it, I think that's it's, it's worth having a look at. Just even see the media headlines that happened after he was uh, removed from Newcastle. There was an expectation he was going to make it against Barcelona. And then they went ahead and they, they had the, the, the most incredible comebacks and won 4-0 uh, and, and went on to triumph in the tournament, which is just a fantastic outcome for something so 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 pressured and difficult. That's a really insightful um, reflection there, Johnny. Thank you very much. I think it, it ties in really nicely into the human factor side of things that um, Jonathan spoke about in the last podcast as well. Most, most recently, you've been involved in designing medical records app called Scribe Pro, which has recently received recognition from the uh, Scottish FA, as, as seen um, over the last week or two. This is kind of adapted to the times and built-in COVID screening for players and staff. And I was just interested more, I think listeners would be interested, from that process, um, could you tell us a bit about the importance of you know, medicine, patient care in sports, um, and how that kind of links in during this COVID-19 pandemic um, from that whole experience. Yeah, thank you. The, the The reason that that came about was just to try and again find the simplest way that we could to make um, you know that that chain of of um, of process from knowledge all the way through to recording to make us again as defendable as we could do, but in the simplest way. Um, so it's, when I started in football, it was triplicate notes that we would keep and with GDPR and the evolution of, of making sure that, that, that uh, player records are as secure and robust as they possibly can be, it, it felt like the right thing to do to try and create something that would allow us to rapidly input patient care, patient data. Um, again, I, I, as, as my drivers for the, play, for the players and for the patients, but it is important for us as staff and, and as medics that we, can, that we can protect the decisions that we make. Because medical legally, if you don't record what you've done, it's very difficult to justify and say that you didn't do it. So what we did with COVID was to try and find a solution that effectively would allow us to record um, a player self-declaration that they didn't have symptoms, that they hadn't had contact, uh, easily record um, all of the facets that um, Health Protection Scotland and Public Health England have identified as being risks for COVID. And if that, that, that was generated as a, as a text and an email to them at eight in the morning every day that they were away and prior to them coming, um, just to allow us to, to, to identify anybody who might be a risk to the other players so that we could then intervene medically rather than coming down to the, to the you know, for breakfast and say, 
felt a bit feverish, felt a bit, felt a bit off, and then subsequently risk other players. So that's what we did, and a, it's a complicated process creating an app, as it turns out. Um, but we've got a very good team. There's six six people now working on the app to develop it to try and make it as athlete and medically uh, centred uh, as we possibly can. Because if it's not simple, people won't use it, and if they don't use it, they can't record what they've done, and then they can't defend themselves. And I think that's really that's really important. That's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's really interesting to hear that. And I think a lot of the, the listeners who are involved in high-performance sport will be very interested about the, the different ways um, people have been recording different COVID data and um, kind of sharing experiences on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny, I think that's that's kind of the, the main points for discussion. I'd like to thank you very much for, for joining us today. Um, listeners, I'll put up the links and papers um, and articles that have been mentioned during the talk. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.